We're in this series, criticizing Christianity, in which we're saying, okay, let's address our biggest criticisms, right? We want to tackle them head on. We're not, we're, like, we're not afraid, at least I hope we're not afraid of criticism or someone questioning or doubting our faith or why we believe certain things. Please ask your questions and let's talk about them. The biggest ones, what are the biggest criticisms that people have um, about or against Christianity? And let's, do, let's, let's look at them. So we've been going through, we're week three, we're uh, after today, we're halfway through this. And, and this morning, um, we, um, we're looking at, at perhaps, perhaps the main argument for uh, in favor of atheism, that that atheism that atheist will uh, will um, will proclaim that this of all the other like options of all the other kind of topics we can discuss, this is the one that seems to be the like the go to at least right out the gate the first one, and that's this. Well, science has already disproved Christianity. I, listen, I'm a person of science, not not a person of faith. I need evidence. And so almost out of hand, like right out the gate, just sort of, hey, because I believe in science and, um, and, um, and evidence and proof, I cannot just, I cannot even begin to entertain this idea of having some kind of faith in a God or a book or a person because I am a person of reason and intellect and evidence. Now, they won't say it maybe in those terms, but that is, that is, that, that is the critique. Um, I, um, I'm going to start by just giving you a little insight into my life. Uh, pretty, pretty nerdy hobby of mine. I don't think that's that nerdy. Uh, but if you ask my wife, she'll be like, yeah, it's super nerdy. Um, I like to watch debates, like YouTube debates, like hours, hours of debates of like atheists or Christians or theists or, or, even, or even just like two Christians just debating. I just like seeing people discuss different sides. And, and like, I'll, so I'll be watching, I, I watched a number of them this last week, even, even while I'm sick at home, just like, you know, <laughs> play. Like, and and my, my wife comes in, she's like, what are you, because they're, you know, an atheist talking about why they don't believe in God. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, just watching my favorite atheist, no big deal. You're doing what? I'm just getting ready for Sunday. Watch an atheist. It's awesome. And, and, um, and, and I, so I watched a lot of debates. I've seen, uh, I, because it, for me, it's a challenge. It's a challenge of like, how would I respond in this situation, right? They bring up a point, a counterpoint. This person's gonna respond. Maybe they do a good job. Most of the time they do. Sometimes it's like, oh man, that fell flat. How would I respond? And so I, I, I use it as like, a, a, like a, a challenge myself and to think through like, okay, I, I wanna think about this. And, and so there's, there's, four, there's four particular guys that are called, this is kind of old now, a number of years ago when they kind of first came out with their books, they were known as the four horsemen of the new atheist movement. Um, there's four guys all wrote a book kind of within a short amount of time and they became like kind of the, the spokesmen for, uh, for atheism and kind of the new, the new rise of atheism. Uh, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, uh, Chris Hitchens, and, um, and then Daniel Dennett. And they all have their own book and kind of their own approach to it. Um, and and what, what always comes up, and you can watch debates with these guys and other people, and, and uh, what always comes up, always in all the debates and all of their books, what always comes up is science versus faith. It's the issue. They are men of science and intellect. And, and so um, they cannot, they cannot accept faith or belief in what they would call fairy tales. And we're told they can't, that science and faith can't go hand in hand. So, um, so I, I've, even this last week, um, I was watching my favorite atheist and he literally is my favorite atheist, uh, Christopher Hitchens. He's since passed away, which actually saddens me. Um, uh, I, if you don't know him, I like, first of all, he's British. So he sounds 20% smarter. 
Anything he says is like, oh man, that guy, yeah, that, yeah, that, uh, okay, keep talking. <laughs> and, um, but, but he was also, um, he was also uh, um, like there's books that have been written about him and his life. He's also a tortured soul, really wanting to know and have answers to big questions. And he didn't accept everything atheist. Like he was, he was criticized by atheists and Christians alike because he didn't, he didn't full, he didn't like fully lean to what, uh, like what every atheist says. So they, a lot of them criticized him because he really wanted to, to know, like he was a, uh, a very moral guy and believed in right and wrong and, and wanted to know, he wanted to investigate. I, I, I love watching Christopher Hitchens, but regardless of who you watch or who you listen to or who you read, there seems to be three main objections that people have with science and religion. So we're gonna look at this morning, the three kind of main issues that people have when in this critique. And then we're gonna look at a fourth, which is really the heart of the issue. And, and, and we're gonna spend some time camped on that and just say like, well, what is this, this conflict between, uh, this supposed conflict between science and faith? Let, like, let's talk about this, this thing. The first that we'll look at is this. Science is in, is in direct conflict with Christianity. This is usually one of the objections that comes up. Hey, listen, they are, they are opposed. And if I have to pick one, if you're, you're forcing me to pick one, I'm gonna choose the one based on evidence, right? Science is in direct conflict with Christianity. Number two, evolution. Listen, we know this. Evolution simply outright disproves the Bible, particularly the Genesis account. We know evolution is right and, and it disproves what your Bible says. So how can I believe this story of, uh, again, of, of fables and myths? The third is supernatural is scientifically impossible. Listen, as much as you wanna say miracles and, and resurrection from the dead and healing, listen, we know this, we know this, we know this to be true. The supernatural just simply isn't scientifically, it's not possible, it's not possible. And then the fourth, we'll look at the heart of the issue. So let's start. Science is in direct conflict with Christianity. Let's talk about it. First, this may come as a shock to you. And uh, it, it certainly does not to many like who've really interacted and studied this field, but like kind of your, you know, average person who is a, maybe an atheist who hasn't really spent a lot of time, just kind of like picked it. Um, this may come as a shock, but Christianity actually paved the way for science that it was Christians who actually moved the ball, like the science ball forward. And it wasn't because they were trying to disprove their faith. It was actually because they wanted to, to learn more about God. We see this, the, the, the fathers of modern day science, the guys that you've heard, many, most were all Christians and had strong faith. Copernicus, Kepler, Galileo, Newton, Boyle, Pascal, all those guys who were like the guys in their time, like centuries ago, they, they I mean, they, they were revolutionized our world of science. All of them were believers. Christianity believes this, that, Christi that creation declares God's glory and should be studied. We should look into the sciences to find out more and to, and to see even, even more about what God has done and what he's like. Psalm 19 says this, the heavens, like literally the heavens that we see, like the space and declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Psalm 111, two, great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. 
There's plenty of other verses and we can look at at, at other other passages of scripture, even in Job where God is saying to Job specifically about calling out specific things about his creation. We see in in Isaiah um, that uh, God talks about the creation and how we should respond to it. It's it's all over the scriptures, but but we're gonna approach this morning, not from like, well, the Bible says so because that, that really doesn't help if you don't understand the Bible. We're gonna approach this really from, from an apologetic, logical, reasonable approach, response. Francis Collins, um, the, uh, the famed geneticist that, uh, that led the Human Genome Project that, that, um, that, uh, that got together to map out the human DNA and, and did complete a number of years ago. So we know, we know human DNA and how it works and, and what genes work for what. They spent this entire, they spent all this time and a team um, years and years to map this out. This guy, Francis Collins, led the team. A brilliant man, a Christian man who had faith and believed deeply in science. Here's what he says. One of the greatest tragedies of our time is the impression that, that has been created that science and religion have to be at war. Here's a guy who says, I believe deeply in science. I mean, I've dedicated my life to science. And he says, and I believe wholeheartedly in my, in my Lord, in, my, in, in God. And, and in him, he's saying both co- coexist. So what is this perceived war that's supposed to, they're supposed to be at conflict. They can't be, like oil and water can't mix. Supposedly science and faith can And he's saying, it is a tragedy that that seems to be the dominant position that they can't, they can't somehow both live inside of us. Um, he says this, this is great. This is his faith coming out in his work. He says, the God of the Bible is also the God of the genome, of the DNA. Like the God who, who we read about and we talk about is also the one who created DNA, who, who literally put like the information in it, that like the source code for all life. So he says, he can be worshiped in the cathedral, this is great, or in the laboratory, like he's doing. His creation is majestic, awesome, intricate, and beautiful. For him, for him, mapping out the human DNA, the genome project, was a source of worship. It was him saying, all right, Lord, I wanna know more about you, and I'm gonna do it in my lab. I'm gonna worship you in my lab as I investigate, for the first time in human history, this, this stuff we call DNA. For him, he saw his work as worship. He goes on to say this, and, and, uh, and this, is, this is true, and, it's, and it uh, lines up with what's called the fine-tuning argument of the existence of God. He says this, when you look from the perspective of a scientist at the universe, it looks as if it knew, the universe, it knew we were coming. There are 15 constants, a gravitational constant, various constants about the strong and weak nuclear force, et cetera, that have precise values. There's 15 things that like, these are very specific and precise. If any one of those constants was off by even one part in a, it's supposed to say a million, does that say a, a mission? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who writes these things. <laughs> one, one part in a million, or in some cases, by one part in a million million, the universe could not have come to a point where we see it. Matter would not have been able to coalesce and there would be no galaxy, stars, planets, or people. What he's saying is all, all of these, if they're off by just a hair, by just like, like what, what, uh, even what Christopher uh, uh, Hitchens says, by a hair of a hair, 
This is the one argument that, that he struggled with that he said that the, of all of the arguments that the theists have, the fine tuning argument is the one that gives atheists the most trouble. Because he says, if, if we're off by a hair of a hair, a fraction of a fraction, then none of this exists. Then nothing happens, then nothing. That it has to be so precise. Like all of these factors have to be so precise to have life at all, let alone complex life here that we're not actually like consciously thinking about it. And it's, it's, he's, that, that Francis Collins says, it's almost as though the universe knew what it was doing. It almost is like it knew we were coming. So what's with the scientific opposition to Christianity or religion for that matter? Because here we have, there are a number of scientists, I mean, brilliant men who are both, both men of science and women of science and, and also deeply, deeply uh, uh, convinced of God and, and, uh, and in their faith. So what's the, what's the opposition then? If science isn't in opposition to Christianity, which I would say it, it absolutely is not, what is? Because something is. There's, there is some wall barrier between faith and what we call science, but it, it's not science. Here it is. The issue is not science. It's naturalism. This, this is a worldview now, a, a specific subset within what is called science. Naturalism, not science, is in conflict with Christianity. Science itself is unbiased. It exists and is as a, as a, a, a neutral element. Science, it just is. It's just a form of data and equations and facts. And here's, here it is. What is different is how it's used and how that data is manipulated or, or interpreted. How it's used can be biased and inaccurate. Naturalism is an attempt and it's a worldview um, of how to approach science. Science is its own thing, but naturalism says this is now how we should look at science. And naturalism says this. There is no, there is no supernatural or God at all. That everything we have can be explained by nature or natural causes. That the only thing that exists is the natural world. And everything has a, 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 an explanation by natural means. So what it does is right out the gate, before it even gives any option, before it withholds any judgment, it says there is no option for the God or the supernatural. It's only the natural. So we're gonna look at only the natural for an explanation for everything. Do you see how it's now limiting? It's now created a bubble around science and it claims this is true of science. The problem that we have is not with science. We welcome science. We should at least. The issue is naturalism. So we're gonna talk about naturalism more here in a second. Let's talk about the next one. Evolution disproves the Bible. All right. So at some point in the conversation, usually what comes up, whether in a debate or a conversation that you have with someone maybe, um, is, uh, well, hey, listen, I believe in evolution. And listen, I, it's just, it's undeniable. There's so, just too much proof. And it disproves your understanding and your view of the Bible. I'm gonna say uh, a couple things here. Uh, the first is maybe controversial, maybe not. The second, you're gonna say, what, that can't be true, but I'm right. <laughs> and you will see that I am right. You, eventually, if you don't already agree, you will, I promise you will agree with me. The first is this. There are a number of people, it is possible, it is entirely possible to believe in the evolutionary process with, that, that uh, all life developed and evolved from a single cell and still be a Christian. That there are plenty 
of Christians who also believe in the, the totality and, and the evolutionary process as a whole. And what they will say is that evolution was the process by which God created everything. That he directed evolution from the beginning and, and got it to where we are now. So they would look at the process of evolution and agree with every aspect of it and say, yeah, this is, a, this is how God used evolution. This is how, God, how he created so many different things was through the process of evolution. You can believe that and still be a person of faith. It doesn't, they're not mutually exclusive. Now, I'm not convinced of that, but, uh, but you can hold to that. Like, who am I to say you can't be a Christian because you believe in one aspect of evolution? Now, that's not, I mean, maybe that's controversial, maybe not. Here's the thing that, that you're gonna say, well, really? And then you're gonna see, oh, yeah, don't ever question Brandon, ever, yeah. Uh, first, the Bible, the Bible allows for the evolutionary process to an extent. It does allow for this. And, you're, and I don't know what your gut is feeling right now when you hear like a pastor on the stage saying pro-evolution, yes, great. And, and you're kind of like, wait a minute. Okay, now let me prove it to you. Okay, there are multiple uh, uh, fields or thoughts or studies within evolution. And we, you listen, I promise you, you, you really do believe in at least a form of evolution. Okay, let me just, I'll give you a, a simple example and then you'll go, okay, that makes sense. Um, how many of you have a dog? You have a dog? Okay, yep, a lot of you. All right, uh, cats? No, no, we don't know about cats. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I don't want to offend. I, I, uh, I love um, other people having cats. I just, uh, I'm super allergic to cats and like, you know, we're dogs. And okay, um, uh, if you were to, if we were to all pull out a photo of our dog, I'm sure they all look the same, right? I mean, it's just one species. No, of course not. We, um, I don't have pictures of our dogs. We have two dogs. I, let me rephrase. I have a dog. My wife has a dog. They both live in the same house. They're brothers, you know, multiple years apart. Um, and, uh, and they could not look more different. I, my dog, he's a good boy. He is a good boy. I, just like your dog is a good boy or a good girl. Uh, his name is Rocco. He's a boxer. He, uh, he's just, he's not the smartest, but man, he just loves. He just loves you and just, and just wants to, like, if you come over, you're his best friend, right? Doesn't matter who you are. You could, you could like, you know, you could, you could come over with a knife ready to stab me. And he's like, hey, do you just want to play? Like, can you throw me a ball first before you take out my owner? And, um, and, and he's, he's, just, he's just a good dog, but he's muscular, strong dude. And then uh, I, love, I love my dog. And then we have another dog. And this dog is, is the most pretentious and, and prissy and, um, and um, um, self-absorbed dog that I know. I mean, I like, I go, I, I just try to pet him and he pees and he's just like, no. <laughs> what? What do you do? What? Um, he won't, he won't come to me. He goes to my wife and, and he'll, or like, if he does, it's like, because he wants something. He's like, Hey, um, it's food time. Come over here. Right. Scratching the door or something, or I got to let him up or like put him on the couch or the bed. He's like, Hey, I'm tired. Can you put me to bed? Like what? Who, who is this thing? Now, listen, uh, we believe in, uh, in a form, absolutely, of evolution. It's called microevolution. And that is a species within itself adapts to its environment over time. And so we get some dogs that are big and strong and muscular, and then other dogs that like, even, I'm looking at this other, you know, it's like seven pound, white, fluffy. I'm like, there's no, Lord, there's no way this would survive in nature ever. There's no, like, there's no, 
It serves no function. It's just like, you know, my wife, she's not, I don't think she's here right now, but she would like kill me right now. It's like, it's like I think her favorite part of our family is this thing. And, um, and like, but like, okay, Lord, like, these, are, these, these, are, these are both dogs. And, and when we talk about Noah's Ark and like one of every kind, there, was, there were two dogs on there, probably wild dogs. It was not a Maltese, I promise you that this little prissy little thing. But over time, these dogs have adapted to their environments and now we have complete, like all kinds of different breeds of dogs. And some of it is our own breeding, but like all of it is through microevolution that, that a species can adapt over time. It's what, it's what Darwin discovered when he discovered his finches and the different sized beaks. It's because they, they adapted to their environment, different trees, different, different foliage, different kinds of seeds. And so they just deva- they developed over time. On a microevolutionary level, we all agree. We would all be like, yeah, that's, that's the reason. It's the reason we have different, like different looking, like within the dog, we have different breeds of this one species. What we have a problem with, so the Bible allows for that, of course, absolutely. What we have a problem with is what's called macroevolution. The evolutionary transition from one type of organism to another occurring on the level of species or higher on the taxonomy. So what that says is one species becomes a completely different one. That, that is now a leap. It's now not just a dog, you know, getting shorter or, or taller or, uh, or, you know, larger teeth or, you know, longer hair. Like that is all adaptation, of course. Now what we're talking about is one species becoming another species entirely. Macroevolution is very much a leap with missing links in between the species. We look at the archeological evidence. We don't see, we don't see a lot of like transitionary species or, uh, or skeletal remains from one to the other. We see this species and then we see this species, but we, we don't see this middle. And there's, a, a, of course, in, in, in evolutionary thinking, like there's a ton of explanation as to why that might be. But in the end, what we say is, is literally, it looks like, on the scene showed up multiple different kinds of creatures without, without these links. Macroevolution is where we say, no, 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 no. I, I, I don't think we can say definitively we all came from one single cell and everything evolved from that. So the Bible absolutely allows for the, the process of evolution that Darwin discovered on a micro scale. But on a macro scale, now we're talking about something completely different. So let's talk about the, the third one, supernatural. Supernatural is scientifically impossible. Usually at some point you get to the point where they say like, listen, you believe miracles. You believe that Jesus really raised from the dead, right? Well, yeah, that's kind of the, like the, that's literally the crux, the basis of our faith. Like that's the most important thing. All right, well, we know, we know that, that miracles are impossible, that the supernatural scientifically has been proven. It's not possible. So how do we respond? What do we say? This is true. Again, another controversial statement. This is true. Only in a naturalistic worldview. If, if you and I hold to this naturalistic worldview that all, the only thing that exists, the only thing that we have to explain any of this is nature itself, then yes, of course there's no supernatural because supernatural literally means above natural or outside, like it is outside of the natural. So if we're saying all that exists is the natural, then there is no supernatural. There can't be, by definition. Both like, both reasonably, logically, epistemologically, like it, it doesn't make sense. But 
If we don't hold to a natural, naturalistic worldview and we just say, hey, listen, let's just go where the, the evidence leads instead of, instead of throwing out any other option, let's just see, let's just see what makes the most sense. Then there, there very much is. If there really is a supernatural, then, and there really is a God who, who acts outside of nature and time, space, and matter, then, then it would make total sense that he could also then move in a way that is outside of time, space, and matter. Science can only test and prove that which occurs by natural means. This is the limitation of science. Science can only prove what science can prove, which is nature, which is what happens in nature and natural means. There are plenty of things that science can't explain and it can't prove. We're gonna look at here, uh, a few here in a second. The issue is not supernatural versus, versus natural. It's not, it's not an issue with science and faith. It takes just as many faith assumptions to say supernatural does not exist as to say that it does exist. You've made a decision. Supernatural does not exist. How do you prove it? Well, I just, I just know. I know it to be true. I, I know what I can see in, in nature and that's it. Okay, so let's talk about this. That the heart of the issue then is not science. You and I, we should, we should applaud science. We should investigate science. We should love science. We should study science. We should, we should, we should spur those on who continue. Wonderful. The issue is naturalism. This is the view of Dawkins and Harris and, 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 uh, and all these atheists, and it has some real problems with it. Let's talk about a few. First, the problem of human rights in an accidental universe. We talked a little bit about this last week, but we're gonna lean into it some more this morning. Um, uh, Francis Crick, an atheist, um, uh, one of the co-discoverers of the molecular structure of DNA. Again, a, a very bright, brilliant scientist. Um, he writes a book called The Astonishing Hypothesis, The Scientific Search for the Soul. All right, I'm gonna go look for the soul, scientifically. And an atheist, again, mind you. Here's what he says. You, you, the person, you, wh whoever you are, the collection of everything that you are, you, your joys and your sorrows, your memories and your ambitions, your sense of personal identity and free will, are in fact no more than the behavior of a vast assembly of nerve cells and their associated molecules. Here's what he says, ready? Everything that makes you you is really just chemical reactions. It's just nerves and molecules firing in your brain. Personality, your decisions, uh, emotions, your memories, your thoughts, everything is just purely a physical firing of neurons. Now, we understand that neurons fire, but for him, what he's saying is there is no soul. There is no supernatural. It's just simply physical chemical reactions. Now, here's the problem. Most people believe in human rights. I hope you do. If you don't believe in human rights, then we have a different conversation. You, you, all of us, we can disagree on what those rights should be and where they stand, but we all would say like, yes, yes, basic human rights. Absolutely, you have the right to live, not to be killed just because someone wants to kill you. All right, you have a human right. We all believe murder and oppression and, and, uh, and, uh, and assault, these are wrong. And they're wrong all time in all cultures. It's not like, well, we've decided here in America it's wrong, but you know, somewhere else they can do whatever they want. No, no, no. We look at some of these big things and say, like we don't hear about the abuse of, of children or the genocide of an entire population and say, well, that's just how they do things over there. Who are we to impose our standard on another culture? We look at that and say, this is wrong. 
It's wrong. And it's not wrong because I'm saying it's wrong. It's wrong because it's wrong. And we all know it to be wrong. And, and for the big things that we know to be wrong, we make laws about them. And no one, no one looks at the law and says, no, that, that shouldn't be there. Hey, ready? If you murder someone, you go to jail. What? That doesn't seem fair. What if I decide they deserve it? <laughs> you go to jail because it's wrong. There are things that are wrong, regardless of our views or the beliefs of the person doing them. But within naturalism, there's, there's no satisfactory uh, uh, explanation. There's no satisfactory explanation of, of why we think that's wrong. If it's just neurons firing in our brain, how can we trust them to be true? And how can we make that the experience for everyone? If there's not some sort of, of moral law or code or expectation that we all say, yeah, okay, at the bare minimum, there are things we all agree that are, are right and wrong. On a purely naturalistic level, there is no explanation. There is no uh, 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 decision or description of, of where that comes from. There are plenty of attempts to describe this. Cultures decide morality, and, but then the issue comes, well, what if the culture decides that it's okay to murder or abuse children? Is it okay then at that point? Well, well no, it's still wrong. So it's not culture. It's above culture somehow. Maybe it's the good of the species. It's just in us, in our DNA to, to, to wanna survive and live. That, like, listen, the best thing we can do, we're programmed from our ancestors to, that if we wanna live as a species, we shouldn't kill each other. That, that's fair. That makes sense. Except we don't see that in any other species. We don't see it in the animal kingdom. We see it's, it's kill or be killed, right? Eat or be eaten. We see, we see in the animal kingdom that if, um, if there is a member of the pack or the family that is sick or injured, they leave them behind. They move on because, listen, they, we can't let this one kill the rest of us. Should we do that as humans? Of course not. It would be absurd to think like, well, they're sick. Listen, I was sick last week. I appreciate you guys had concern that you don't want to kill me. I appreciate, I appreciate your desire to see me live, even though I was weak, just momentarily, but I was weak. Naturalism has no explanation for the existence or the origin of morality. It doesn't say you can't be moral. Like usually what happens is they'll say, well, listen, I can absolutely believe, I don't need to believe in God to believe in right and wrong. Absolutely, of course. In fact, I would expect that you would believe in right and wrong, even though you don't expect or you don't believe in God. The problem is, where does that come from? Explain to me the origin of your right and wrong. That's, a di that's an entirely different matter. You and I agree on the what, but we don't agree on the how. It must be, this is one of the areas, um, the, the issue of morality is one of the areas that leads many atheists to, um, uh, to e e e some form of theism where they say, whether it be agnosticism or some other faith, because they realize that there's no satisfactory, satisfactory explanation for the right and wrong just simply in the natural order of life. That naturalistically, there's, there's gotta be something outside of nature that can tell us that things are right or things are wrong because nature itself is not adequate. There's gotta be some moral standard that's decided outside of us, some moral law, either giver or revealer that exists outside of what is. So this, this, this issue brings up uh, what the philosopher David Hume um, articulated. He says this, that we have an is-ought problem. This is the problem of the is-ought. He says that if a reasoner, a person, a thinker, only has access to non-moral and non-evaluative factual premises, the reasoner cannot logically infer the truth of moral statements. 
Here's what he says. In other words, if we have, if all we have are natural, non-moral statements or elements, what he calls the is, science, cells, molecules, data, math, equations, uh, 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 physics, laws of physics. If that's all we have, the morality cannot be determined or defined by it. It's simply the what is, not what ought. So here's what is. Science tells us what is. We look at the world, we observe, here's what is. As soon as we say, well, here's what ought to be, or here's what it should be, or here's what shouldn't be. It is wrong to X, Y, Z, or it is right to A, B, C. That is now science overstepping. Naturalism, he says, it's a, it, this is a problem. How can, how can non-moral material things determine some sort of moral outcome? This is an issue. So the problem for a naturalistic worldview is morality. It really is a problem. Here's another one. The problem of the origin of the universe. This is a great one. We can ask this question. Why is there something instead of nothing? Why is there something at all? And there's been all kinds of attempts to answer this question. The universe, uh, start, this was the, uh, the, the dominant view a while ago in the early 1900s. This is what uh, Einstein postulated and um, what he believed, um, uh, like the origin of the universe, that the universe was infinite and timeless. That it didn't, have, it didn't exist within time, that it had no beginning, it just was. And then a guy named Edwin Hubble, hence the uh, Hubble telescope, discovered through his telescopes in the 1920s, um, uh, and demonstrated definitively the universe is indeed expanding based on the rate of, uh, of movement of planets and light. And, and like, it's, it's not just moving, but it's moving further away at a certain constant. It's called the Hubble constant. And like, things are moving at a very consistent rate away from each other. And so, and so if things are expanding, the universe is expanding. That means if we go back in time, that means at some point it was contracted to a central spot, like a beginning, a moment. So then the dominant view became what's known as the Big Bang Theory. All right, science it isn't eternal. And this, it, was so, it was so well de demonstrated that this actually, um, this actually convinced Einstein and he changed his mind, begrudgingly, because he didn't want to think about a beginning, because then there needs to be some sort of beginner. <laughs> and he was uncomfortable with that. But he also understood this is the evidence. It points to this Big Bang. The Big Bang is not a problem. I love the Big Bang. It's great. The Big Bang says that out of nothing came everything. The Big Bang sounds a lot like Genesis chapter one, verse one. Um, so uh, my wife's in medical school. She, um, uh, or nursing school, she's uh, training to be a nurse and uh, she's a year in and uh, she's got one more year of, of nursing school. She's done a prerequisite. She's been in school for years and years. She was in education for a while, got a, um, a degree and then a master's degree and said, you know what? I wanna start over. Okay. Now, so she's in nursing school. And so she uh, has a lot of um, nursing school friends. And uh, she has, you know, a few that are uh, kind of her age. I don't, I don't want to say older, just, you know, um, just, you know, more experienced in life. And then, and then she has a lot of, uh, of friends um, that are like, you know, just out of high school in their 20s. I'm like, oh, so she'll come home from, you know, school. I'm like, oh, did you meet any new friends today? <laughs> oh, tell me about them. She's like, Yes, I did meet some new friends. Did you take your lunch? You want me to pack your lunch? No, but yes, I took my lunch. <laughs> um, and and, uh, the, and so she's very much is in 
the, the world of science. I mean, she's like literally studying about the body so she can treat people about their body. Like it is very much the world of science. And so she's surrounded with people who are also involved in the world of science. There's no conflict here. And so um, what has come up in the past uh, in a number of conversations is like, hey, what do you do? What does your husband do? I mean, tell us about your family and stuff. And she's, oh, you know, he's a, he's a pastor. What? Wait, like at a church? Like, yeah. So you're, you're a pastor's wife? Yeah. You, you believe in all that stuff? <laughs> well, yeah, kind of. Yeah, that's, that's kind of why we do it. And, and so she's been very, very nice, but sees it as very much a mission field and has had conversations with a number of people and um, um, uh, many of which she's like, I could be your mother. <laughs> uh, but but uh, the conversations, and they have questions about this, about science. And they'll say like, hey, I, you know, I, all right, church is fine. You can go to church, I, I, of course. But like, you know, and they, she's like, they try to be respectful, of course, but I'm a person of science. This is usually what they'll say. I'm a person of science. So I just, I just struggle with some of the stuff that maybe the, you know, faith and what the Bible says. And, and at some point, one of the, one of the guys that, that, uh, that she knows said like, well, what do you believe about the Big Bang? She comes home and she's like, all right. So he asked me, the Big Bang. And I'm like, awesome. Big Bang is great. It's wonderful. The Big Bang, like, is, is our story. That out of nothing came, came something and everything. The Big Bang is a problem for the scientists who say, hey, ready for this? How did it start? What started? Well, there was uh, some proteins in the universe and that there was this cosmic goo and, and then uh, a lightning strike. And you're like, hold on, hold on. Where'd the goo come from? <laughs> right? Hey, where, where's, what started the proteins? How did, how did literally anything start? What was the first thing? And how did anything come from nothing? Naturalistically, prove it to me. Scientifically, tell me. We know this, the, the laws of thermodynamics, there's no, matter's never created nor destroyed. So how was it started in the beginning? Well, science has yet to answer that. Ah, so don't pretend that science has everything figured out and we're the only ones who have a belief in something because you, as a scientist, you believe in things that you have yet to find an answer for the beginning of everything. This is not a problem for us. Um, uh, the Richard Dawkins, he writes in The God Illusion, again, one of the four horsemen of the atheists. He says, Darwin's theory works for biology. She talks about evolution, but not for cosmology, not for like the universe, especially certainly the origins. And here's what he says, but don't worry, we'll figure it out eventually. That's <laughs> so what he writes. Hey, we don't know yet. They'll figure it out. That, listen, Mr. Mr. Dawkins, Richard, if, if I can call you Rich, that sounds awfully familiar to what you call faith. I believe in an outcome without knowing the evidence for that outcome. Um, there's another guy, Robert um, Jastraw, the astrophysicist for, uh, for 20 years, he was the head of NASA's Goddard um, Institute for Space Studies. He was like the guy in charge of space exploration. He was the man. He, uh, he uh, ended up becoming agnostic because he realized there's more to this world than what we see. He says this, this is great. I love these quotes. Astronomers now find that they have painted themselves into a corner because they have proven by their own methods that the world began abruptly in an act of creation to which you can trace the seeds of every star, every planet, every living thing in the cosmos and on the earth. And they have found that all this happened as a product of forces they cannot hope to discover. 
that there are what I or anyone would call supernatural forces at work is now, I think, a scientifically proven fact. <laughs> Here's what he says. Listen, I'm the, I've seen it all. I've, like, I've, I'm the lead on the, 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 the cutting edge and the leading edge of like space exploration. And here's what I realized. I don't think we're ever gonna have the answers that we think we do. And that what seems to be the case is that whatever we call this supernatural force, something outside of nature, I think what we can say is it seems to be some sort of supernatural action that put this whole thing into, into to motion. I don't know what it was and he won't, he won't go so far to say this is definitive, but naturalistically, he says, we cannot explain the beginning. And then he says this, and I put this in there because this is for me. I, I read this and was like, this is just awesome and funny. He says this, at this moment, it seems as though science will never be able to raise the curtain of the, on the mystery of creation. For the scientist who has lived by, by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the, the mountains of ignorance He's about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself up over the final rock, he's greeted, this is so great. He's greeted by a band of theologians who've been sitting there for centuries. <laughs> Here's what he says, so much more eloquently than you or I could put. They're gonna say, we told you so. <laughs> that when we get to the end of this and we realize maybe there is some sort of supernatural explanation to all this, that these theologians who we these backwards religious believers that we said aren't smart, aren't intellectual, that aren't factual, that, that, that are zero-based evidence, maybe they did actually get it right. So to say science has definitively disproved Christianity is simply intellectually dishonest. Listen, I, I'm, I'm a man of faith. I mean, I'm my job this is my job. This is what I do. It's a career. But I like to think of myself as a man of science. Like I'm not anti-science by any means. I love science. I study science. I, I used to read science books for fun, like just because I'm like, this is interesting. Again, like super nerdy, right? Some of you are like, you, you read what? I, I, remember, I remember reading like for biology class, like getting a book and reading a biology book, like a textbook for fun. It's wonderful. I love science. To say that you can't be both an, like have, um, have a, a deep appreciation and understanding of science and be a Christian or be intellectual is simply dishonest and honestly if and I've shared this with a number of people that I'm close with that I can it's insulting it's insulting to say that because I'm a I'm a person of faith I can't also be a person of reason and intellect and science why can't you be both in fact I would say they actually work hand in hand and 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 because of my faith I look at science and say man this just makes me believe even more in God and who he is so the final challenge what are we left with what does this all mean for us how should we react to science? Well, 2,000 years ago, Paul opened his most famous letter talking specifically about this issue we're addressing today. Here's what he says in Romans chapter one, verse 20. He says, for the sense of creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. And here's what he says. He didn't even understand the, the implications of what this meant or the totality of the scientific understanding we have today. He says this, they have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. The apostle Paul 2000 years ago said, we have enough evidence just from the world to point to a God. We have 2000 years later, even more evidence 
of the, the intricate design of both the cosmos on the large scale, but also on the molecular scale and like in the cell, like how much, how, how detailed and how designed all of it looks. Um, Richard, uh, Richard Dawkins, again, the atheist, he even says that, that just because it looks designed, he admits that all of this looks designed, it doesn't mean that it is. It's in his book. It looks designed, but it's not. It's fooling you. Nature is fooling you to think it's designed. There is so much design in all of this that it, it can't help but, uh, but force us to at least ask the question, what if, what if there actually is a designer? Science should never, you should never feel threatened by science. As, if you're in the community of faith, if you're a believer, you should never look at science and say, oh man, I'm, like hands are sweating. What are they gonna ask? I don't know. I, I just, maybe they're gonna disprove everything. No, 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 no. We should lean into science. We should welcome science. We should study science. We should, we should say, all right, let's, let's talk about the science and let's look at what we agree with. And then let's talk about now, how did, how did that come to be? Let's have a, discu- a discussion about the implications of science. So you have a choice. Either naturalistically, this is all that there is. Everything that exists is, uh, is, is all that we have to describe all of life even with his limitations of trying to describe uh, the moral issue and, and, and human rights and right and wrong, even though science can't really define right and wrong, and even though it can't really define even how it all began, you can accept that again with a little bit of faith and belief saying like, well, one day like Richard Dawkins, we'll figure it all out. Or you can say, maybe, maybe this really does point to some sort of force or mind or being or thing that is outside of time, space, and matter. And if that's true, if there is some sort of force or mind or thought or being, it would seem to make sense to say, I should probably try to know a little bit about this thing, this person, this, this someone who started this whole thing. And that is what we call Christianity. The study and devotion to the being that made this all. So for us, for me, I hope for you to say that science has disproved Christianity couldn't be further from the truth. If anything, we should lean into science and say, no, no, no. Science is just simply us looking at the evidence that God has put all around us. We're gonna end with worship here. So would you do this? Would you stand with me? I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna We're gonna continue to to worship the Lord together for what he's done, what he's made for who he is and how he changes lives. We see this, that that this same God who created everything decided to also enter into his creation, become a, a person just like us. This person we know is Jesus and we have gospels and we, we see throughout time, throughout 2,000 years, millions, billions of people's of life have been changed by Jesus. I pray if you aren't in this family of faith that you, you would get to a point where you would say, I want to, I want to know more about this God and what he's done and, and at least what this, what this book says he's done. And if you are in the family of faith, I would encourage you to lean even more into science and to say science is not a threat at all. Science is just one more avenue to point to the evidence of God. Would you pray with me? So Lord, thank you for your your goodness. Thank you for your word that we can study the works of your hands and delight in it. 
Thank you for the great minds who've gone before us who do believe in you, but also see their work as worship and, and the investigation of science as a means to discover even more about you. Will you help increase our faith as we lean into the sciences? We love you, Lord. We worship you now. We pray this in Jesus' name.